I want to share with you a little bit of context before you hear the scripture today to put it in its setting because it actually is one of those scriptures that really has a very specific setting. It's found in several of our Gospels, three actually, and it's a story within a story. I want you to understand the bigger story and then we're going to glance at more specifically at the story of this particular woman today. If you go to Luke chapter 8 in the Bible, and the section that this story is contained in, you'll find first it begins with the story of Jairus and Jesus. Jairus has a 12-year-old little girl who passes away, who's very sick, and he calls for Jesus to come, and Jesus is trying to get to Jairus when two things happen. The little girl dies, and Jesus encounters this woman. Now, in the story between Jairus and Jesus and the little girl, Jesus, following where we're hearing the story from today, continues on and gets there and finds everyone in mourning. And he goes in and says to this little girl, Talthakum, which means get up, little girl, and she gets up. She is resurrected. She's brought back to life. So it's a powerful miracle story of Jesus, a healing story of Jesus. It's interesting that that story in and of itself is enough, but For some reason, the gospel writers all help us understand that Jesus' healing ministry was a continuous action in all of his adult ministry. He's going off to take care of this situation, and as he's going, he comes in the middle of a big crowd because wherever Jesus was, it seems there was a pretty good-sized crowd, wouldn't you imagine? And in the middle of this big crowd, on his way to there, this happens. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Angie and Steve, thank you. I invite you to keep the scripture in front of you and invite you now to join with me in a word of prayer. Gracious, loving, and eternal God, on this amazingly beautiful day, we come, perhaps like so much of that crowd gathered around you, sort of wondering what's going to happen, with a few actually needing so desperately something to happen. 
We pray that the movement and power of your Holy Spirit would release a power that is unmistakable and that touches all who are here, all we encounter, and goes far beyond us to bring hope and healing to the world. Open our ears, our minds, open our passions, open our talents and gifts, that so surrender they might become instruments of grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There was a woman who went to her doctor, finally motivated because for weeks she had just felt continuously in full physical pain all through her body. The doctor comes in, he asks what's wrong, she says, doctor, everywhere I touch I hurt, I, I just hurt, I don't know how else to say it, I just hurt. Well, what do you mean? Well, she said, well, look, right here, I, I, that hurts right there. And she said, when I touch my thigh, it hurts right here. And when I touch my shoulder, I hurt. doctor looks at it for a few minutes and says, show me your hand. She reaches out her hand, and he says, well, you've got a broken finger. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> it's helpful that she had a doctor who was willing to do the right diagnosis before he just started prescribing all kinds of tests and medications. Having the right diagnosis matters so much for us, and it is the first step towards healing. Have you ever been in a situation where you could not get the right diagnosis? Yes. And it's so frustrating. And you will go anywhere to find somebody who can, one, just tell me what's wrong, and then tell me how we can get right. But unless I know the right diagnosis, I continue to get lost and trapped by my illness. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've got to try this again because this is a participatory event. Do you understand what I'm saying? Thank you. I need you to let me know this. Thank you. Wow. Kelsey, i got so much to teach you, my friend. My God, you just keep... Oh, God. Okay. If you don't know what's wrong, you can't know how to be right. And perhaps the most amazing thing about Jesus' ministry, as it's pointed out in the book Way of Love, and as I think about all of his healing ministries, was his keen ability to diagnose what actually was wrong. Not just what others said was wrong, not just what was presented at face value, but looking at a deeper level. What's going on here? What's causing this thing to happen? Well, this woman in question today have been searching for a long time for somebody to have the right diagnosis. It says in the scriptures that she had been bleeding hemorrhaging for 12 years. Well, actually what it says is this. She's been living with the flow of blood for 12 years, but also suffered at the hands of physicians and spent all her money to address the issue and only got worse. Now unpack that a little bit. She's been ill for 12 years. Do you know what it is to be debilitated with ongoing pain and suffering? And then in addition to that, 
to find those who are supposed to treat you, hurting you more than helping you, and getting paid for the privilege of doing so. See, medical issues and medical um, political realities aren't just brand new. Proper health care has been going on for a long time as a debate. She just wanted somebody to say to her, here's what's wrong and here's what can help. Can you hear the desperation in her asking? Do you understand a little bit about what might have been motivating her today to come to the edge of a crowd, which in the middle of that crowd was this guy named Jesus, who at least had the reputation by now as being this most amazing healer of physical illness. She's not standing on the edge of the crowd as a curious bystander. In fact, the truth is, she really shouldn't have been on the edge of the crowd at all, because if you know anything about how cultures worked back then, whenever a woman was menstruating, she was considered ritually unclean and not allowed out in public. Blood was a part of what made you ritually unclean, and if you were bleeding, you could not be out where other people might be made unclean by your blood. So she's supposed to be banished if she's a menstruating woman certain times of each month of her life. And if she's been doing it for 12 years, it means for 12 years she's been put off somewhere because she's ritually unclean and she's not going to become clean in that culture until she stops bleeding, which she can't find anybody to help her do. Do you now understand the level of her frustration? And after 12 years, she is tired, angry, frustrated, and desperate. So staying locked up in the bedroom ain't going to cut it anymore. I don't care what you think. I hear there's a chance for this guy to take care of me. I'm going to go to him, even if it means going into the middle of a crowd which she wasn't supposed to be able to access. That's who this woman is. And she starts to make her way through the crowd. Filled up with all that frustration. She pushes her way. First this one and that one out of her way. Until she can finally almost get to where Jesus is. Now, she has been enculturated enough not to think she deserved to go in front of Jesus. Do you know how debilitating illnesses can be? They can actually twist the way you see reality. She actually thinks she didn't deserve to be in front of Jesus. It's interesting how many times I have discovered that, still sometimes it's true. People who will come into the faith community who want to be here, who need to be here, but just aren't quite sure they are considered worthy. So she's not going to go up and say to Jesus what's going on with her. One, would you want to do that in that setting? So she figures what she'll do is she'll come up from behind. And she reaches out and touches just the edge of his garment. How much faith do you have to have? How much desperation do you have to have to believe that if you could just get around and touch a little bit of the backside of the garment... There's a chance you could be healed. Well, that's where she was. She reached out and she grabbed on. I love the way 
the Greek says it. Actually, it talks about the fact, not only does she hold his jacket or his coat or whatever, but rather that she locks on. If only for a little bit. And if the story is to be believed, once she locks on, there's a power released. A power released that goes from Jesus into her body. And in the book, Way of Love, we're studying as a church, he talks about power, and he says that there actually is power in the faith of the Christian walk. That, the, there, that love is, is not sentiment. Love is not emotion. Love is power. They may, in fact, move our emotions, but our emotions should never be confused with power of love. Power of love is what gives life vitality. The power of love is what causes you to change who you are, makes it possible for you to change who you are, makes it possible for you to live life fully embraced in the life as Jesus calls it. I've come to bring you life and life abundant. It's that power. Have you ever felt that power in the touch of another? Have you? I sure hope so. I reached out and shook Laura's hand in 1977, and I got zapped. (laughs) You know the power? I held the hand of many people as they were dying, and I felt the power. Have you felt the power in prayer? When that release of the presence of God happens, there's something that stirs within us. And in the touching of Jesus' garment, a power was released into this woman. And in that moment, her physical ailment was healed. Believe it or not, it's in the book. And Jesus, in the middle of this crowd, looking this way and having her back here touching the edge of her garment, says, what just happened? His acknowledgement that he felt a power leave his body. He didn't just feel someone bump up against him like, you know, if you were at the championship game for the Wolves last week and, you know, you got bumped up against because everybody was going nuts. No, in the middle of that chaos and crowd, he felt a power leave his body. Because God is not this passive little presence out there that we pray to sweet prayers, but God is the power of love, and God's movement in our life creates change, power. And, of course, the disciples say, well, you know, what do you mean someone touched you? I mean, you're getting jostled by this crowd. What do you mean someone touched you? No, someone didn't just touch me. Someone needed my power, and my power was released. Who was it? This woman for 12 years has been conditioned not to be outside of the bedroom, not to go outside of the house. For 12 years, she's been not allowed to have anybody look at her with any kind of, well, any kind of way. So she hears Jesus say, who touched me, and what's her natural reaction going to be? Shout it out loud. I can't hear. I'm old. Yeah, she's scared. She's scared. But Jesus gives that look. 
The Greek says, Jesus turned around and gave that glare. The kind of glare that says, I mean what I'm saying, who touched me? And she was motivated to come now for the first time in front of Jesus. He's aware now of all that happened. And now the second healing occurs. Now not only is she physically made well, but standing in front of Jesus, all Jesus says to her is this daughter. He didn't say woman. He didn't even call her by name if he would have known the name, I don't know. He calls her daughter. Because in this moment, she became not the woman locked up in her house, but rather this woman in an intimate relationship with Jesus. I'm your, you're my daughter. And as a father of two daughters, I'm telling you, there's no more powerful connection than that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. I want you to go now in peace. See, he's not just taking care of her physical ailments. He's saying all this distress you've lived with, all of this frustration you've lived with, all of this putting yourself down you've lived with, lay that down now, because I want you to go in peace. We have to somehow figure out a way to share with the world that this faith we call Christianity is not sentimentality. It's not sweet. It's not cute. And it's not just saying, oh, we love Jesus and Jesus loves me. This is a faith about power. This is a faith about going into the real places where people live and changing their lives powerfully with the touch and presence of Christ and those who are touched by Christ. Stanley Arwas said the greatest problem with Christianity in the world today is that we often come off as being sentimental. We're not sentimental. We're here to change the entire world for the sake of Jesus Christ. Get out of our way or get on board with us. Here we go. I just want to tell you that we spent a lot of time in our life struggling for the right conclusion as to what's going on with us. We're looking for the proper diagnosis. And our hunger to find it tells us all about how desperate it is that it matters when the diagnosis is correct. This woman was not going to stop until she found somebody who could not only address her issue but heal her. I don't know what you came into this room with today. I have no idea what your issues are. For some of you I do, of course, because we talk about them, we pray about them. I don't know what burdens you're carrying on the behalf of someone else. But coming into this place today, we're coming to find the right diagnosis that we might release the right kind of power into their situation. Now, I'm going to confess here right now on behalf of the church, there are a lot of times in our history we've gotten the diagnosis wrong. We've done all kinds of stupid things by saying the wrong diagnosis. We used to say people were demonically possessed when they had mental illness. Our shame. We used to look at other people and how they lived culturally, and because they didn't live the way we lived, we said they were sinners instead of children of God. Our fault. Today, we still look around at people and we judge folks based on our own bias rather than our understanding of who they are with God, a daughter or a son. And what God might be doing in their life in the name of Jesus Christ by releasing power and hope and strength 
and comfort and being a community that can surround those people like that. What diagnosis are you looking for? What healing do you need? Tomorrow, Rick York is going in for heart surgery down at University of Michigan Hospital. It's a very specific diagnosis. There's a specific need for help. And so we're going to pray for him today and tomorrow through his healing. And there are so many more like that. You have those names. But we, of course, know Jesus is not just about healing physically. He's talking about healing the heart and the mind and the relationships. What do you need healed today? What power do you need released in your life today? And what false diagnosis have you been using to try to fill up your own sense of identity and purpose or hide the symptoms rather than deal with the healing in the name of Christ? Sometimes... The proper diagnosis is hard to see because it's so simple and we make things so complicated. This week, actually today and yesterday, we were putting my mom in hospice. And uh, she's been going downhill. She's 90 years old. Uh, She and my dad, up to this most recent illness, still live on the farm. But things have changed, and, and now she's in a facility in Montrose. Fortunately, it's three miles away from where Dad lives, so it's easy for him to access. So this is probably where we're going to stay for a while. So you're looking for a diagnosis, and today I'm leaving here to go up because there's going to be a, a nurse practitioner there to give an eval of mom, evaluation of mom. Actually, what's her physical reality? Are we at literally the end-of-life conversation? Where are we? There's no diagnosis that's going to change our outcome, but it might affect the path from here to there. You understand? So I was up there on uh, Thursday, and uh, mom's probably not even 100 pounds anymore. And, uh, and she has a hard time um, moving around in the bed even. And uh, I'm, I'm at the side of her bed and trying to get her to eat something, and, and she had a couple bites. And, and then uh, pushed the tray back, and she's lying in bed, and she just just run out. But she starts doing this. And I'm trying to figure out what she wants. And she can talk. I don't mean she can't talk, but it's a very soft talk. So you've got sort of, to listen close. She wanted to sit up on the edge of the bed, which, of course, I think is a bad idea. But she's still my mom, so she wins. <laughs> so her little boy reaches down and picks her up because it's really the only way to get her on the edge of the bed easily. So... She's now dangling with her feet off the edge of the bed, and she's trying to sit up, but she's like a weeble wobble. No, she's got no energy. So she's sitting on the side of the bed like this, and I'm holding her shoulders going, how is this going to play out? You know, and I don't want her to slip on the floor, and I'm trying to decide what to do. And she's sitting here like this, weeble wobbling, and she takes this left arm, and she does this. That's all it was. 
two taps on the edge of the bed with the left hand. I couldn't even tell if it was a tapping or if it was just, you know, her arms moving. Trying to figure out what this message was. And then I realized it wasn't a message for me. All she had to do was two taps on the bed. My father, who's sitting in the corner, gets up out of his chair, and he comes over, because he knows what this means, and he sits down next to her, right where she was tapping. I mean, right next to her. Because at this point on this day and this afternoon, the only treatment she needed was to have her husband of 70 years come over and sit on the bed so she could just lean into him. For about five minutes. And then I picked her back up and put her back in the bed. My parents aren't perfect people. They haven't had a perfect marriage. But they've been imperfect with each other for 70 years. And, of course, any of us who are married understand perfect marriage is absolutely a fallacy. Amen? All of you can say amen. It's okay. You won't get in trouble. Amen? Well, no. Don't say hallelujah, Jeff. She's sitting right there. And, uh, and you realize it's not about perfect. It's not about anything other than figuring out how you learn to forgive each other's nonsense and live into each other's strengths and figure out the rhythm and decide that on the day when there's nothing much else that will work for you. You just want to have somebody to lean into. We come here today, married, single, divorced, older, younger, doesn't matter. And all we want sometimes is someone to lean into. Someone who will let us touch them so that enough power will go out, so that our life will be healthy. Someone will call us by name in a way that says we're loved. That we'll be able to walk away from that encounter healed, at peace. He said, this is my body, and this is my lifeblood, so that any time in the future, whoever you are and wherever you are, if you need to lean into someone who knows you by name and will hold you and fill you with power, well, that's why he did this. 
And so in the name of Christ, whatever your need is today, I invite you to come forward in a few minutes to be touched by his body and to drink of this life. Because as we lean into this sacrament and lean into each other and lean into Christ, we will discover exactly what she discovers. All the past frustrations gradually get exchanged for new hope. And whatever what was becomes a new what will be. And so I invite you in the name of Christ in a few minutes to come, all of you, and lock on. Amen.